Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Greg Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm up, lovely low. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas for the baseball betting podcast. Myself, Jake Peterson. We've got an absolutely terrific show for you. Cody Decker. He is someone that used to play in the MLB. He has done a lot of work. You may recall his podcast, Swings and Misses. That's one that he was doing last season. He currently does some work for 670 The Score out there in Chicago doing some baseball commentary for them. He also helps out younger guys that are looking to get into the league as well. He is going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to have a wide-ranging conversation. Everything from discussing how the extra innings rules with a man on second impacts games, the impact of technology on games, list goes on and on. Some of the surprise teams, he's got one out there in the National League that he likes, so we're going to have a great chat there. He brings it, and then in the final segment, going to give you guys a side total on every game on the betting board for this Saturday as we touch them off first things first. Always love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. you got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. My Twitter timeline at JarenScorty1. Keep in mind the letters EM they mean does not matter. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. Then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. I did wind up getting in a question about Madison Bumgarner. I will be answering that when we wind up doing our Rockies versus Arizona Diamondbacks recap, but we are going to be taking a look at every single one of the results that we wound up seeing yesterday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know that he seems a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. The New York Yankees were able to bust out with the bats as the Detroit Tigers got completely pulverized in this one 10-0. Good news is the Tigers were able to pitch a 6th, 7th, and 8th innings clean 
Bad news is they gave up 10 runs before then. Tyreek Skubal, absolutely destroyed. He gives up four runs over the course of three innings. Somehow, Buck Farmer was worse. He got one out and he gave up four runs. Now rocking that 12-10 ERA. Brian Garcia gives up a run in two-thirds of an inning. Tyler Alexander, three innings, gives up a run. He should probably get some consideration for his starting spot. Daniel Norris, he goes an inning as well for the Tigers. Four hits in this one. Garrett Cole is masterful. 12 punch outs over the course of six innings. Luis Sessa gave you a scoreless inning along with Wandy Peralta and Luis Lutigi. And for the Yankees, bunch of home runs in this one. Going deep off of Scooble. Aaron Hicks is fourth of the season. Clint Frazier goes deep off of Scooble. is second. Aaron Judge, not one, but two home runs off of Scooble and Farmer, his sixth and seventh of the campaign, and off of Alexander, Mr. Rudin Odor, his fourth of the season, so that was much needed for the Yankees. The Cardinals were able to get their offense online as well. 7-3 to three of the final, they wind up taking down the Pittsburgh Pirates for the Cardinals. Matt Carpenter! All of a sudden, it's starting to give the team a little bit of something. Back-to-back days with a pinch hit home run. That is his third of the campaign. He winds up going deep off Dwayne Underwood Jr. And then you wind up having a home run off the bat of outfielder Tyler O'Neill. That is his fifth of the season for the Pittsburgh Pirates. You want him not necessarily getting a lot of power in this game as JT Burbaker. Not a great start. Three runs given up over the course of five innings. Wasn't terrible, but Dwayne Underwood Jr. giving up three runs in an inning. That was not good. You wind up having Clay Holmes giving up an unearned run and David Bernard a scoreless stint as he winds up going two innings and for the St. Louis Cardinals. John Gantz is sent back into the starting rotation. Has been absolutely tremendous. Five innings pitch. He gives up just one run bullpen from there. They give up two runs as you wind up having both of those given up by Tyler Webb but Ryan Hazley. Scoreless inning. Genesis Cabrera. Two scoreless as well. So the Cardinals able to get the job done in this one. Also able to get the job done out there in the NL Central. The Milwaukee Brewers over the LA Dodgers. A Dodgers team that is now officially scuffling. I believe that this is now six losses in their last nine games. Three to one the final. The start wound up going to Edwin Yuseta. He winds up giving up two runs over the course of two innings, going deep for the Milwaukee Brewers off of him. Jackie Bradley Jr. is second of the campaign, and that wound up being the difference because the bullpen game of the Dodgers wasn't bad. They give up three runs. Yuseta winds up giving up two of them. Scott Alexander, a scoreless inning. You get two scoreless out of Mitch White. Victor Gonzalez gives up nothing in an inning. Jimmy Nelson was able to give you two outs. Blake Tryon gives up a run in four outs, but I mean, they did their job. AJ Pollock was able to get a home run off of Fred Freddie Peralta, his second of the campaign, but for the Dodgers, two hits in this one as Freddie Peralta was terrific. Punches out seven, gives up that still home run. Brad Boxberger, J.P. Frierson, and Josh Hader able to come in in the seventh, eighth, and ninth, and they're able to get the job done. You do want to note, Josh Hader wound up getting used up for a second straight day, so that's going to possibly affect something tomorrow, but this is also having a little bit of an effect. Kyle Schwarber gets a walk-off home run. Two to one the final in this one in 10 innings as you had a 0-0 game going into extra innings. That would have been hilarious had you wind up seeing it over in that one, but for Schwarber, he goes deep his second home run of the season and his second walk-off home run as a member of the Washington Nationals. For the Miami Marlins, they wind up stranding 10 men on base for the Washington Nationals. They wind up stranding only 5 despite the fact that they wound up getting 9 hits and it was the season debut of John Lester and he was great. He goes 5 scoreless innings, Kyle Finnegan, Sam Clay, Tanner Rainey, Danny Hudson, they come out of the bullpen, they all look solid right in. Gives up the ghost runner on second base in two innings, but he was able to do his job. And for the Miami Marlins, Pablo Lopez does give up six hits, but seven scoreless innings. Anthony Bass, Dylan Floor, they do their job. And then Yimi Garcia in the 10th inning gives up that home run. So both teams wound up doing a great job with pitching. Both teams didn't necessarily do a great job with the bats. Neither team did a great job with the bats in this one as the Philadelphia Phillies get a 2-1 win over the New York Metropolitans for the Mets. 
One of 14 with men in scoring position. They strand 10 on base. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, Jason Anderson did a great job of avoiding danger. Gives up one run over the course of five innings. You wind up having from there Jose Alvarado, Sam Coonrod, Brandon Kitzler, along with Jojo Romero, all being able to give you scoreless innings out of the bullpen. And for the Mets, Marcus Stroman, once again, a good start in this one. He did allow two unearned runs. There wound up being a Pete Alonso fielding error. I believe that there was like a pickoff attempt or something like that. Not necessarily sure, but there was an error out there in the field that caused Stroman to give up two unearned runs. Aaron Loop, Jurisic Familia, Miguel Castro from there, scoreless innings. For the Mets, zero earned runs given up by the pitching staff, and yet they still wind up losing the game. That is brutal. The Cincinnati Reds have been brutal on opponents whenever they wind up trying to pitch to them in Great American Ballpark. 8-6 to six the final. Keep in mind, the Reds averaging 2.9 runs per game on the road at home, now 7.8. As the Cubs, they were able to get their offense going. Chris Bryant goes deep off of Wade Miley, his seventh homer on the campaign, and for Wade Miley, he winds up giving up two runs over the course of five innings. Could have been better, could have been worse. This Reds bullpen is looking like a disaster. Carson Fulmer gives up two runs in an inning. Jose De Leon, who wanted to begin the season as a starter, two runs given up in two innings. Lucas Sims and TJ Antone were able to close the door, though. And for the Reds, the power continues. Eugenio Suarez, who is not necessarily hitting for a great batting average, he is hitting a buck 30, but gets his fourth homer on the campaign off of Jake Arrieta. Jake Arrieta serves up Nick Senzel's first home run of the season, and Joey Votto gets his fifth home run of the campaign as it was a brutal night for Jake Arrieta. Gives up seven runs, three bombs, and three in the third innings. Kyle Ryan cleans up the fourth inning, and then from there, you were able to get some good relief pitching. Justin Seal gives up one under run in two innings. Dylan Maples, two scoreless innings, but damage had been done, and for the Cubs, one of 11 with runners in scoring positions, stranding 10. You wound up having the Minnesota Twins bust out with their bats as well. 9-1 to the final against the Kansas City Royals for the Royals. You had Carlos Satana being able to get his sixth home run the campaign, and now 20 RBI. He winds up going deep off of Michael Pineda on this one, who is not Michael Pineda aside from that at bat. One run given up over the course of five innings. Ty Duffy, Ansel Robles, a scoreless inning, and Jorge Alcala gives you two scoreless. And then for the Minnesota Twins, you were able to get a pair of home runs in an unlikely spot. Young up-and-coming prospects, Alex Kurloff winds up going deep for his first and second career home runs. He had really been scuffling before this for the Kansas City Royals. One of those was given up by Tyler Zuber, who gives up three runs in an inning. And then you wind up getting four innings out of Irvin Santana. Gives up that home run and nothing else. Wade Davis came in in the eighth inning, and he was a disaster. Gives up four runs over the course of an inning, and for Brady Singer, he winds up taking a ball off of his shin, so he winds up leaving after two innings, giving up a run. It actually set up a double play. It was one of the strangest things I've ever seen in my life, but certainly not what you were expecting if you're the Kansas City Royals. This is not what you were expecting out of the Cleveland Indians. Some run scoring, 5-3 to three the final. They wind up taking down the Chicago White Sox. Jose Ramirez is able to go deep off of Evan Marshall in the eighth inning. His seventh of the campaign, that was absolutely massive for the team, as for the White Sox. You had Dallas Keuchel not necessarily give you the world's greatest start. Four runs given up over the course of six innings. Marshall gives up that solo run, but Aaron Bummer, Matt Foster, they both give you scoreless settings. And for Tim Anderson, five stolen bases already, despite the fact that he wound up missing the beginning of the year. But for the White Sox, they wind up having to go up against Shane Bieber Fever and Mr. Bieber winds up hitting his K-Prop again. 11 punch-outs over the course of six innings. They give up three runs in the process, but Brian Shaw, James Karinczak, Emilio Clays, they were able to all give you a scoreless inning to be able to close the door. The Boston Red Sox pitching continues to be relatively rock solid. This is a bunch that they have scored three runs or fewer in four out of their last seven games, but they get the job done in this one by a count of six and one for the Red Sox. Four runs in the first inning as they were able to knock out Koji Iwahara very early. Six runs given up in two and two-thirds innings. How about this? Hun Jung Yang winds up coming into the game. Former KBO superstar while he was with the Kia Tigers. 
Four to third innings of scoreless baseball coming out of the pen with one hit given up. Love to see these KBO guys being able to thrive. And then Brett DeGeis, two scoreless innings as well. But for the Texas Rangers, a team that's averaging fewer than three runs per game at home, they wind up being able to generate one run on six hits in this one. And for the Boston Red Sox, J.D. Martinez continuing his surge. Eighth and ninth home runs of the season. He now leads the league in home runs. Rafael Devers goes deep off of Iohara. His seventh home run of the season. Xander Bogarts, his fourth home run of the season. Also off of Iohara. And for Nathan Eovaldi, a terrific start. Gives up one run over the course of six innings. Josh Taylor, Darwinson, Hernandez, Austin Bryce. All give you scoreless innings out of the bullpen. So the Red Sox get things done very easily. Out there in the American League East, you wind up having the Toronto, a.k.a. Dunedin Blue Jays, get a 13-5 win over the Atlanta Braves. For the Braves, Ozzy Albies winds up getting his fifth home run the season that comes off of Robbie Ray. He's been picking things up recently is for Mr. Robbie Ray. Two runs given up in six and two-thirds innings. Not necessarily terrible there. Ryan Baruki winds up coming in, and he gives up three runs over the course of two-thirds of an inning. Joel Payampas, along with Mr. Jordan Romano, wind up having to come in, and they clean up the last five outs. But for the Toronto Blue Jays, power surge in this one. Drew Smiley was serving them up. He winds up giving up three home runs, six runs in total, five of which were earned over the course of four innings. You then wind up having a home run given up by Edgar Santana. You wind up having a home run given up by Jacob Webb. Both of these guys came out of the bullpen for Santana. One run given up in one inning for Webb. Three runs given up in an inning. Sean Newcomb gives up two runs while recording two outs. It got so bad that Tyler Madzik winds up giving up a home run as well. He has been completely lost for the Atlanta Braves out of the bullpen. And for the Blue Jays, you have Ryder Gritchick getting his fifth home run of the season. Teoscar Hernandez fresh off the injured list. His second. Lords Gurriel his second home run of the season. Boba Shed his seventh home run of the campaign. And Alejandro Kirk goes deep down once but twice. Don't call my name Alejandro. Call him Kirk. Second and third home runs of the season. So they were able to get it done there. Speaking of being able to get it done, the Houston Astros offense, after being shut up by the Seattle Mariners, they turn around for nine against the Tampa Bay Rays. Nine to two, the final. Alex Bregman, fourth home run of the season. That comes off of Ryan Yarbrough. He winds up coming in, and he winds up giving it up. Mr. Yarbrough does. Five runs given up over the course of six innings. Lewis Head was not any better. He winds up coming in. He gives up three runs in an inning. Trevor Richards, one run given up over the course of two innings for the Tampa Bay Rays. They punch out 12 times in this one since the beginning of the 2020 season. They lead the league in strikeouts on offensive from Colors. He got nine of them over the course of seven innings. All scoreless. Andre Scrub came in. He winds up giving up two runs out of the bullpen in an inning. And Kent Emanuel winds up giving you a scoreless inning as well. So a very good night if you are a fan of the Houston Astros. Being able to get the job done on Friday was the Baltimore Orioles by a count of 3-2. John Means does give up two solo runs, but gives up just two runs over the course of seven innings going deep off of him. Mitch Moreland is third of the campaign, and then you wind up getting Sam Murphy his fourth end for Mike Fires. He comes off the injury list. I wouldn't call this a bad start. I wouldn't call it a great start. He does give up three runs over the course of six innings. Surprised he went this deep. He winds up giving up two home runs. Austin A's, the Sayers kid, third home run of the season. And then Cedric Mullins, who's been on fire for the Baltimore Orioles, his fourth for the A's. Bullpen was there for this team. Diolius Carrera, a scoreless inning. Submergio Romo gives you one as well. Lowering his ERA to a 935, and Yasmero Petit was able to do his job before the Orioles. They were able to get a nice Mitch Moreland double play to be able to get the save. Cesar Valdez was able to do that. Trey Lankins, along with Paul Fry, were able to bridge a gap in the eighth inning to be able to get things done. For the Arizona Diamondbacks, they were certainly able to get it done. They wind up taking down the Colorado Rockies, as in this one for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Madison Baumgartner gives up one run over the course of five innings. I was asked by a few people, do we start trusting in Madison Baumgartner once again? This is one of these things in which you always dictate it by the prices, because I wound up backing the Arizona Diamondbacks in this spot, because when they were at Circa earlier in the day, they were 
right around a minus 119. I thought that that was a good price. Had it been like minus 145, I would not have. Every single pitcher, every single team has a buy point. Every single one of them has a point in which there's no value on them. So it's all about being able to seek that out when you take a look at someone like a Madison Bumgarner, any team, any player for that matter. But when you take a look at the Arizona Diamondbacks, what else has value? The fact that Josh Rojas was able to get a home run. His sort of the campaign, Taylor Clark, Alex Young, they were able to come out of the bullpen. They looked solid in for the Colorado Rockies. 55 shades of John Gray gave you length, but not necessarily the world's greatest performance. Five runs given up over the course of six innings, four of which were earned. You wind up getting a scoreless inning out of Tyler Kinley, and then you wind up having Jordan Sheffield come into the game. He winds up giving up that home run to Mr. Rojas, so that was not necessarily too tremendous. What else was not necessarily too tremendous was the fact that Chris Flexen wound up having his shortest start of the year, but still, the Seattle Mariners looked very solid against the LA Angels. This is one that's still going on. I have to post this up by Midnight Pacific, but for the Angels, Shoei Otani was able to get his eighth home run of the campaign off of Chris Flexen, who winds up going just four innings, giving up three runs in the process, but Drew Rider from there was able to bridge a gap, two scoreless innings, and for Andrew Heaney, he also had a bad start. Gives up four runs over the course of three and a third innings. Now, Junior Guerra was able to clean up the Messi gives up one run. He winds up going a little bit north of two innings for the team, so he was able to do his job, but no doubt the Angels certainly having a little bit of issues and another over for them. They are the best over team out there in the American League, and when you're taking a look at teams out there in the National League, the Giants and the Padres have been very successful to the under, and you wound up seeing an interesting situation with Logan Webb giving up three runs over the course of six innings, but was able to provide length. Meanwhile, for the San Diego Padres, you Darvish Manages to give up just one run as he leaves with the bases loaded. And Tim Hill, it looked like he'd given up a grand slam to our good buddy Darren Ruff, but it was called foul, and he winds up striking out from there. So the Giants, after seven innings against the Padres, were down by a count of three to one. I have to post this up by midnight, but for Darvish, 12 punch outs in six of the third innings. They give up a home run to Buster Posey. We're going to be talking about Buster Posey a little bit later with. Cody Decker as he winds up going deep for his sixth home run on the campaign. And I know that Cody is very bullish on the Giants in general. So let's bring him in. Cody Decker does an absolutely terrific job as a baseball analyst. He is now coaching up younger players as well. He used to do the Swings and Misses podcast. Hopefully we're going to be seeing more Cody in our lives within the next couple months. I know that he's working on a couple things. But with that said, something else he's working on being on this podcast next. We're going to get some tremendous insight from him right here on the Baseball Writing Podcast. with myself, Greg Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. We're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is great to be joined by our next guest. This is a man that he is a MLB analyst at a wide variety of places. I know that he does a lot of work out there in the Chicago area, even though he is based out in both Los Angeles and El Paso, Texas. He is the executive director of Antihero Baseball, helps train up younger players, has some arms throwing at his facilities, everything like this. He does an absolutely terrific job of teaching the game, analyzing the game, and so much more. As it is, Cody Decker joining me on the podcast, and you're able to follow him on Twitter, at Decker, and then the number six. And Cody, it is great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Greg, 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 it is a pleasure to be here. Let's talk some baseball. Let's talk about development of baseball. Let's just talk about all the fun things that is baseball. Absolutely. And first things first, you were out here in Las Vegas about a week or so ago at Circa, a place in which I do many shows at, and it's absolutely tremendous out there. And the people at Circa, 
sometimes they are very, very happy or very, very sad about some of the rule changes that we've seen made in baseball. And the biggest of which, in my opinion, is the fact that you have a runner starting at second base when it comes to extra innings. And that includes these seven inning double headers as well. So you get to the eighth inning of those double dips, you wind up starting out with a man on second. And I just think that it really changes the strategy of games when you wind up having that in general, because so many of these relievers, the big thing with them is just, okay, maybe I give up a walk or two, but I just can't allow anyone to wind up crossing home. I just try to get an out with a man on first. And then from there, even if they wind up hitting a couple fly balls to the outfield, I'll still be fine. And I just think that it really changes the game in general. And you wind up seeing a little bit more of a sudden end, which is obviously what MLB wants with regards to these games, but it just completely changes things. And you have no idea what's going to be going on because things completely reverse themselves when you wind up having these games that go to extra innings. Yeah, well, here's the thing about that rule. I am of the minority. I love this rule. I think it's actually a great rule that's been put into Major League Baseball, and I'll give you all the reasons why. First things first, they put this rule in about in 2018 for the first time in AAA. So when I first heard about the rule, I thought it was just like everybody else. I'm like, this is stupid. It's a novelty act until we played it. Now, understand, the biggest complaint against the National League DH that I've ever seen so far, the only one I see is old school baseball people saying, ah, it takes away strategy, as if everyone bought their ticket to watch a sacrifice bunt. <laughs> but anyways, you're talking about a game where they want more strategy. You want to add more strategy, you want to put more balls in play, this extra inning immediately does it. Because right out the gate, you are in a high-pressure situation, not only on defense, but on offense. And as a manager, you have every opportunity to decide whether or not you want to go for a big inning and let our players just go ahead and swing it, or let's play and manufacture this run let's bump this guy over let's hit this guy over and you know get a sack fly to get him in it's almost i equate it very much to college football overtime it is like if you just go for the one run you're just you know you're kicking your field goal but if you're going for the extra points you know that changes the dynamic of the game the only argument i've heard against having the extra ratings like this is because it does do a number to gambling lines it makes things a little more interesting it definitely makes things challenging once it gets into extra innings but it's a level playing field it doesn't give anyone necessarily an advantage I think you could technically say that the you know the home team has the advantage because they know what they have to do going into the final inning but it's a rule that I think immediately lends itself to the quote-unquote old school baseball you have a chance to actually manufacture the run you have a chance to actually manipulate the ball game as opposed to just swinging for the fences which baseball is at right now and you take a look at it as well you talk about the gambling lines and what it means to overs and unders so far for the season about 53 percent of games have gone under the total rather than over so it certainly hasn't had as big of an impact as many might think as extra running games 22 of the 36 going into this podcast have went over so it's actually not as quantum as I feel like some people might make it out to be mm-hmm. and I do think that it is so interesting from a strategy perspective because where do you fall on this because I can tell you right now, I'm one of those people that it drives me absolutely crazy that you can't get a guy that winds up putting the ball in the air. And it's not just during extra innings. It's when you wind up, for example, the Tigers a few days ago, they wind up getting a leadoff triple. I believe it was against the Kansas City Royals with no outs and they don't drive the guy in. That to me is a colossal failure and everyone on the team deserves to be fired. That's just my personal opinion. I'm not going to say they deserve to be fired, but they sure deserve to be punished. If you got a runner yeah. at third base with nobody out, that runner scores, period. Yeah. It wasn't just them either. The Los Angeles Dodgers had runners on first and third with nobody out against the Cincinnati Reds, and they scored no runs. Shallow fly ball, caught a little too shallow. Mookie Betts didn't test the arm. Next batter was Will uh, Will, uh, Will Smith. Smith. 
immediate uh, line drive, one hop right at the shortstop, double play. Not only that, they were also the uh, batter before that was a lefty, and they were playing a massive shift. Now, I'm not a big fan of the shift, and I'm very much against bunting against the shift, except when a runner's in scoring position. If they have a runner in scoring position, they're going to play a left-handed shift. Feel free to knock that run in however the hell you want. That is ridiculous that anyone would play a left-handed shift with a runner on third base. Yet the Dodgers didn't take advantage of it, and what happened? The Reds went ahead and won that ball game. Figure it out. Oh, I'm right there with you. It's just one of these things in which you have to find a way to be able to get some of these runs in in second base. When you get into extra inning situations like this, you've got to at the very least get the one. There's going for it a little bit more than other times, but at the same time, if you are going for it, typically you're going to be able to get the ball in the air. You're going to get a sacrifice fly, move that man over to third base, and then from there, you get that one run. You wind up having two outs with bases clear. You wind up trying to go for it from there, and it's just one of those things in which I really feel like we are getting back a little bit more to old-school baseball because, as we know, the ball has been dead in a little bit this year. Home run numbers are down, and it does feel like we're seeing more strategy come in. But at the same time, we're also seeing ridiculous strategy, like Tyler Wade a couple days ago. He is bunting in the 10th inning against the Baltimore Orioles with two strikes, bunts foul, and you just wasted it at bat for no reason. Absolutely should not happen. You want to talk about fireable offenses, that would be one in my book. (laughs) But I'm going to tell you right out the gate, you know, we're sitting here talking about how, yes, home runs are down, the ball is slightly deadened, but you got to keep in mind, I don't really think that's the thing that's knocking home runs down. The advent of, you know, Rap Soto out there and and the advent of spin rate and learning more about revolutions that you can put on a baseball. Pitchers right now are better than they ever have been. By far, the average velocity of fastballs are at an absolute peak. Uh, spin rate, movement of the baseball is at an absolutely absurd level. And let's not let's not pretend that pitchers aren't doctoring the hell out of every baseball. It's been the worst kept secret in baseball for the past fifteen years that everybody there's more pine tar on a baseball than there is baseball. It's just a matter of not getting caught, like Michael Pineda a couple years ago, back when he was with the Yankees, making it completely blatantly obvious. But I am right there with you, as we do have Cody Decker joining me right here on the podcast. And what else I think is very interesting as well is we talk about home run numbers being down, but if you take a look at the last couple years in baseball, some of the guys that have given up the most home runs per nine innings, the guys that have given up the most home runs per hit put in play against them have actually been some of these top end starters. Like a Justin Verlander, I remember a couple years ago when he was fully healthy, it felt like every single time someone got a hit against him, it went over the fence. Garrett Cole last year. He was masterful, but it just felt like every single time someone wound up being able to put bat to ball on him, it wound up going in the fence. And I think that that's really fascinating as well. Some of these guys that they are throwing it faster. Some of these guys that they have the tremendous spin rate. Trevor Bauer, I'm sure that I'm sure you're aware as well as I am that he has been using all this technology pretty much more than any other pitcher. It's been really fascinating. Stop. No, he has not. He uses the same technology that everyone uses. Stop pretending that Trevor Bauer invented this. <laughs> He's more public about the way that he Yeah, that's because he doesn't shut up. That's all. I love it. I absolutely love it. But he's been using it a lot along with so many of these other guys as well. And I do think that it's really interesting that you do see a lot of these top end pitchers that they wind up giving up a bunch of home runs, but they do a great job of just being able to keep the contact down in general. And I do think that there are maybe a couple positives and some negatives with it, but it's all about being able to get those strikeouts, being a guy like a Tyler Glasnow that's now getting like a ridiculous amount of punch outs per nine innings. And really the game has changed with the strikeout 
being the big advent of it, in my opinion. Incredibly so. I mean, you can even take pitchers that are not necessarily strikeout pitchers that are having a tough time this year. Take a guy like Kyle Hendricks. You know, Kyle Hendricks is a guy that gets an enormous amount of ground ball rate. And if you put him up against the Atlanta Braves, not a single ball stays in the yard for him. Uh, and Kyle Hendricks is in no way a slouch. He's just not able to get these ground balls that he's used to. Is it a combination that he's a little more up in the zone, a combination of maybe, you know, players changing certain approaches on him, possibly moving up in the box to kind of raise those pitches up a little bit. The, the numbers that are out there that R&D departments have in every single major league organization, and keep in mind, every organization has an R&D department. They know every detail of everything, and often they don't share it with the players. Baseball is in a much more advanced place than any of you will ever know, and I mean ever know. I remember I was the one that actually told everybody what the Astros were doing. I had a show called Swings and Misses, which was uh, that I uh, had a great podcast. Yeah, it was, it was a great, it was a good show. And I remember when we were going out about it, I, I was talking to a front office guy at a different organization, started going through everything, and I started looking deeper and deeper and figuring out what the Astros were doing. And I said, my God, this is where it's at. And the guy looked at me and he didn't want to tell me. He just kind of put his eyes down. And I'm like, yep, this is where it's at. The thing that was so confusing about the the sign stealing scandal, it was that everyone thought it was just, oh, they have a camera and they're looking at the signs. Listen, I was a catcher. I had a different sign sequence for every batter. I had a different sign sequence mid at bat. If you look in my signs and you can figure out what I'm putting down after I changed the sign sequence literally two pitches earlier, you deserve to hit the ball. That is not what they were doing. They had basically cameras set up to an algorithm that just figured out what the what you were putting down immediately. So you had instantaneously knew every pitch that was coming. That was how good this was. They had AI taking care of it. Baseball is so much more advanced than any of you will ever know. I mean, you even take a look at the kerfuffle that wound up coming out because of the Padres versus the Dodgers game. Fernando Tatis Jr. winds up taking a little bit of a glance. That's something that's been going on in baseball for hundreds and hundreds of years. I don't think Fernando Tatis Jr. really got anything of it. We mentioned Trevor Bauer a little bit earlier. He winds up throwing a really good pitch. Fernando Tatis Jr. winds up taking a yard. There's no way he could have thought that that pitch would have been several inches off the plate based on that one very little glance, as we do have Cody Decker joining me on the podcast. And I do think that it is so interesting to look at that cat and mouse game because there are always things that you talk about with regards to being able to mix up the signs you wind up bringing up so many different things. We all remember Zach Greinke during the postseason. He was holding up fingers and everything like that, and everyone was thinking, oh, he's tipping his pitches and everything like that. And that's not necessarily the case. And it really is all about advanced technology. And we're seeing it with one of the breakout stars so far this year, J.D. Martinez, what he's been able to do with being able to get just video back and how critical that is to hitters. It is. Having that advantage of not only having video, but knowing what to do with it. You know, I, we're in a craze when it comes to hitting a launch angle craze, which, by the way, is the absolute most nonsensical thing in the world. It's just depth. That's all it is. You want launch angle, hit the ball further out in front. That's all. That's all it is. Nothing more, nothing less. The problem with always going to try and ha- catch every ball out in front is that you're very susceptible to off-speed pitches and you're very susceptible to pitches low and away because you're trying to catch everything out front, which is usually speed. That's why it's hard. That's why strikeouts are so up. You're trying to catch all these balls out in front as your bat is naturally going up that, you know, if you throw me a good changeup, I'm going to be five feet out in front of that. That's just the way it is. It takes away hitting, the entire mentality of hitting. And that's the problem right now with hitting in Major League Baseball. Cody, something else that we're noticing in Major League Baseball right now is that there are a lot of surprises early on in the year as 
There are every year in Major League Baseball. You take a look at the last time we wound up having 162 games. If you wound up having a 60-game season like we wound up having last year, not only would the Washington Nationals have not made the postseason, they wouldn't have been above 500. They were that bad to begin the season. So no question, we are at more like the one-seventh of the way through the season mark at this point. But when you take a look at some of these teams, like the Kansas City Royals that have been able to come about, have a nice start. Pittsburgh Pirates hovering right around 500. Is there a team or two that a lot of people weren't expecting that you think has a little bit of staying power? You see, no. The staying power, I don't see. The Kansas City Royals, I've been telling everybody, is a good team this year. They are looking good. They came out of camp looking good. They came into camp looking good. They made some very good trades. That Ben Attendee trade, I absolutely loved. I thought picking up Santana was a very solid, very low cost, hot, potential high impact player. I think the Royals um, are have a very good shot at finishing second place in that division. I still have the White Sox finishing out that year winning that division. I am not sold on the Twins right now, and I am nowhere near sold on the Cleveland Indians. I think the Cleveland Indians will be big time sellers by the time of the All-Star break. The only team that I find very surprising is actually the other way around. The two teams that I really think should be beating up on everybody is the New York Yankees and the New York Mets. Now, I'm going to let them both off the hook because, let's face facts, it's April. You mentioned the Washington Nationals two years ago when even made playoffs last year in the 60-game season. It's April. Everybody chill the hell out. Both teams will be just fine. Right now, the National League East is a dumpster fire. That is not the worst division in baseball. The worst division in baseball is the National League Central, no question about it. And it's so much so that the Cubs might actually somehow figure out a way to sneak a uh, playoff spot this year, despite being absolutely dreadful. It's a very odd time in baseball. Teams that were supposed to bring themselves up didn't. The only team that has been very exciting for me to watch has been the Kansas City Royals. Of course, the Los Angeles Dodgers, we knew what they were going to do, even though right now they're not in first place. I agree with you, and I think that something that's very interesting about taking a look at baseball right now, you mentioned it with the New York Yankees. I still think that this is a team that's going to be above 500. I still think that this is a team that's going to be competing for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I do think that maybe you temper the expectations a little bit more with the best. You wind up seeing them go up against Jorge Lopez and Matt Harvey a couple days ago against the Baltimore Orioles and combined four runs in those games, including one that wound up going to extra innings. And I do think that there's a happy medium. Are the Yankees going to be in the bottom five with regards to runs per game? This season, heck no. Are they going to be like a top two offense at the same time? No, I think that that's the big thing that you need to be doing right now. Maybe knocking off the super, super high expectations that you had coming into the year that they were going to be like some sort of a powerhouse that just beat up on absolutely everyone, but at the same time realizing that what we're seeing right now is not what we're going to be seeing in October. And let's also not forget that Garrett Cole cannot pitch every single day. Exactly. He's out, and he's out there putting together a Cy Young season. And of course, if you are betting your futures, you better put your money on Garrett Cole and Jacob DeCrom. If you put it on anybody else, you're just a madman. I'm right there with you. It has been absolutely tremendous with them. I do think that Corbin Burns is doing a great job with the Milwaukee Brewers. But at the same time, I do think that the wheels are going to fall off for him a little bit. We've seen it with Jacob DeGrom just year in and year out. Garrett Cole, he's been there. He's done that. I am in total agreement with you there. And Cody, when you just take a look moving forward with baseball these next couple months in general, I did mention that home runs seem to be down a little bit more. I did mention some of these teams that have been able to surprise in good slash bad ways as well. Is there anything that you're really going to be looking for this month or two that would have you either very, very bullish or bearish on a team? Because I really do feel like some of the more critical months are the ones going into the all-star break because where a team is standing in early July really dictates whether they're going to be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline. Very much so. And in fact, there's one team, there's one team in Major League Baseball that actually intrigues me more than any other team. And they're a team that I told people going into this season, 
Do not sleep on this team. Just don't do it. I know the I know the San Diego Padres are sexy. Yes, they are. I played for the Padres. I love the Padres. I know the Dodgers are sexy. Yes, they are. And everybody's talking about that Dodgers-Padres rivalry. There's a team in San Francisco that's currently in first place. There's a team in San Francisco that was one win away from the playoffs last season after everybody wrote them off. The San Francisco Giants will not go away. I think the San Francisco Giants are an actual player, and this next month is going to be the month that really shows us who they are. Can they have the staying power? That takes us back to that last question. Are the surprises, the one surprise team that has the staying power, in my opinion, is the San Francisco Giants. I like that team. Scrappy offense, good arms, seem to have a good idea when it comes to leadership. I like the Giants quite a bit. And the reason why I like the Giants as well is you're a former catcher. You know all about this. The catcher does a little bit more than just wind up having like a 280 batting average, like Buster Posey's doing right now. He's doing a great job at the plate, but the way that he's able to call a game is so critical. It's why Yadier Molina is going to be going to the Hall of Fame. It's why he's so great. It's not necessarily because he's a good hitter, and he's a very solid hitter, but the way that he calls the game, the way that he works with these pitchers, it's just so critical because the Giants last year, without Buster Posey, they were a bottom-end pitching unit because they just didn't wind up having those guys coming out of the bullpen. Trevor Gott kept getting got with home runs yeah. time and time again. Having Buster Posey out there calling the game, I think, is one of the biggest acquisitions this offseason. It was just merely getting him back in the fold. Absolutely. No, nothing against Tyler Heineman last year, really. I love Tyler Heineman, good, solid ball player. But I think Tyler Heineman would very, very easily come up to you and say that he is not Buster Posey. Buster Posey has been one of the mainstay catchers in Major League Baseball for the past decade. He is one of the premier leaders of any franchise. And let's not forget that he's got three rings on those hands. And you better believe he wants a fourth. Oh, I'm right there with you. And Joey Bart, I think, is going to be a tremendous player as well. Up-and-coming prospect for the Giants. I wound up seeing a little bit of time last year. He's not at the level of Buster Posey right now. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. But a man that's on another level doing all the work that he's doing, that would be you, Cody. You were in Las Vegas about a week or so ago. I know that you wound up joining Beast in a little bit. Brought it there. You brought it on this podcast as well. I know that you're doing a wide variety of things. I know you're working with younger ball players right now. I know you do quite a bit of work as a baseball analyst for a wide variety of networks as well. So let the good people at home just know how they're able to get your work and what you're all doing right now in general. Well, right now, I'm actually very much in between jobs. I'm in negotiations with several, several spots at the moment. But you can catch me every Wednesday morning on uh, on the score, 670 The Score in Chicago. I do uh, baseball breakdowns for uh, Bernstein and uh, Rahimi. Great show. Check them out. You can check that out on the Odyssey app, of course, if you're not in Chicago. I really make the rounds everywhere. If you ever listen to Carton and Roberts, I'm usually on that show about three times a week. And it's usually just on my phone because Carton calls me and wants my opinion on something baseball. <laughs> Outside of that, man, you can catch me just about anywhere. I'm showing up all over the place. And of course, I, as you mentioned, I am the executive director of a baseball and softball nonprofit in El Paso, Texas. I fell in love with this city a few years back. I played here at, uh, in AAA in 2014 and 15, and I am oddly popular here. And me being a lifelong, basically, I was Crash Davis. When you're Crash Davis, you're not supposed to be recognized on the street. But in El Paso, Texas, I was. And I just fell in love with this place. And I wanted to give back. And baseball here, development is just not where it should be. So I've been trying to bring baseball up. I brought Joe Bimel with me from Bimel Lead Athletics to help train the guys here. And boy, oh boy, are we having some serious success with some of these young ball players. We've gotten some guys into college now, guys who never thought they would play past the age of 18. When you see a guy hit 90 miles per hour for the first 
first time. It is just, it is something else. Getting a chance to see these guys. And I have the, I have, I, you know, I played for 11 years. I made it to the big leagues. And, but as I mentioned, I was Crash Davis. I have an opportunity to tell these kids and show these kids, you know, the mistakes that I made. What I don't want you to be me. I want you to be better than me. You know, I want you to learn from the mistakes that I already made so you don't make them going forward. So it's a real opportunity to affect some lives in a real positive way. The nonprofit is called the El Paso Border Youth Athletic Association. You know, our whole organization's goal is to get as many kids into college through baseball and softball. Having some tremendous success right now, even in this last year of COVID, um, we're having some amazing success getting these guys to the next level. Highly advanced metrics, you know, all the rap sodas, all the hit tracks you could ever want. It's not just having a hit tracks or a rap soda. You have to know what to do with these numbers. And that's actually, believe it or not, a big problem in Major League Baseball. Yeah, you can get all the numbers you want, but if you don't know how to actually explain them to players and what they truly mean and how they can actually apply them, then the numbers are full on useless. Major League Baseball needs to recognize that. They need to bring old school guys up to the fold of where the technology is right now, right now, not just bring in engineers and have them tell hitters how to hit. I'm right there with you. It is something where baseball is just going so technology-based. I mean, I even take a look at a guy like Dan Straley going over to South Korea. He winds up doing that just because he wants to be able to utilize all the technology, be able to get in reps with that technology, and be able to use it against live hitters. So that way, he can maybe in a year or two rectify his MLB career. I thought it was very fascinating to hear about him. It's just so interesting in general to see where baseball has come just even in the last 10 years in general and i know that cody has been doing a great job of utilizing this with all the guys that he works with he's done an absolutely terrific job as a baseball analyst at a wide variety of places he just mentioned it out there with the score in chicago right now a man that has a wealth of information when it comes to baseball and you heard it right here so big thanks to cody decker for joining me right here on the baseball betting podcast and coming up next this is that time podcast they give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this saturday as we touch them all Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Big thanks to Cody Decker, a man that is now covering baseball after he played it himself, doing great work as an analyst, podcaster, list goes on and on of athletes that he's currently doing, does absolutely terrific work. It was great to be able to get him on the podcast today, so big thanks to him. Now it is that time of the podcast. Thank you, sign total, on every game on the betting board for this Saturday as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarensCordy1. As per usual, we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is just where I go through the National League games first, the American League games, and then the interleague game between the Bravos and the Toronto, aka Dunedin Blue Jays, is going to be at the bottom. So that's how rotation order works. It's also in time order with regards to the leagues as well, so it makes it nice, clean, and easy to be able to take a look at. As we do begin with 9:51, 9:52 on the betting board, you've got the Miami Marlins. And they are going to be hitting the road and they're going to be facing off against the Washington Nationals. Patrick Corbin is going to be going for the Nats. Meanwhile, Paul Campbell is on the bump for Miami. Currently, the only place that this is up is at Circa. I'm with the Nationals. Find them as minus 167 favorites, plus 152 on the Marlins. And your total is 8.5 with the 8.5 overs just minus 115. And the under is minus 105. For Patrick Corbin, it's been a really, really bad year for him. And I don't understand why he's quite this big of a favorite. Now, 
I do understand the fact that he should be a favorite in this spot because Paul Campbell, well, he's probably going to give you right around like three-ish heading for the Miami Marlins. Guy with an 822 ERA, no question. He's not been terrific, but for Patrick Corbin, 10-47 ERA, six home runs given up at 16 and a third innings at 10 walks issued. That is absolutely terrible. Now, I do recognize the fact that he wound up having a nice starter against the St. Louis Cardinals, but four plus runs given up in three out of his last four starts. He has also went four and a third innings or fewer in three out of those four as well. And for the Miami Marlins, they back up Campbell with a really solid bullpen. Emi Garcia, Dylan Floro, guys like this have really been able to come in. They wind up acquiring Adam Simber in the offseason. Ross Detweiler is able to give you a little bit of something. So I do like this team overall. Now with the Miami Marlins, no question, this is not a team that they're not necessarily supplying the boom, but Jesus Aguiar over last week has like four home runs. He's sitting just below a 300. Got a couple slugs out there in the lineup. Lewis Brinson, John Birdie, Adam Duvall, Garrett Cooper all wound up hitting a 200 or lower heading into the game yesterday, but Miguel Rojas has been able to do a solid job for this bunch, so you've got some okay hitting for the team. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Washington Nationals. They do a good job of getting a base. You've got Josh Harrison along with Trey Turner down for what Yadiel Hernandez. All these guys were doing solid, but once again, bottom of the lineup. Josh Bell, Kyle Schwarber, Alex Avila, along with Victor Robles. All these guys hitting a 215 or lower. You wind up throwing out their John Luster yesterday in his first start of the season. So you have to use up a bit of a bullpen that has improved. I do like Danny Hudson. I do like Brad Ann. Wander, I swear oh, this guy sucks being on the injured list. Actually helps out the Washington Nationals, but... With that said, this is just one in which I feel like they went a little bit too far on the price. I would be needing more like a plus 158 to take a shot here on the Marlins. Like I said, this is a number that's currently offered at Circus, so it's a little bit of a wait-and-see mode here. I do anticipate in some form or fashion being on the Marlins, and with this number of 8.5, I do wind up setting my total at 8.8, so as of right now, probably going to be looking at over. I think that you've got a pair of pitchers that are going to get lit up, so probably going to be looking at the Marlins and the over, but check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's41 because we we should be getting more numbers populate as this winds up going along. We move on to game number 953-954 on the betting board. The Chicago Cubs hit the road face off against the Cincinnati Reds. Luis Castillo is going to be going for the Red Legs. Meanwhile, Zach Davies is on the bump for the Cubs. Siddle on this game is a nap. Over Zenny work between minus 110 and minus 120. Under Zenny work between even and minus 110. If you're looking at the Cubs, you're going to be getting a post price here. That's any work between plus 143 and plus 150. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with the Red Legs, any work between minus 153 and minus 163. Once again, feel like the Reds should be a favorite. I think that we went a little bit too far. I was willing to take anything above a plus 147 with the Cubs, and we're right now seeing a plus 150. I do think that Zach Davies is going to be able to figure it out a little bit. I just can't be under the assumption that the last few years, in two completely different ballparks, San Diego along with Milwaukee, were just completed utter flukes. He just has not been able to have his command so far this season for Mr. Davies. He's got 15 walks in 19 innings, 947 ERA. That's a massive issue if you are not necessarily a hard tosser like he is. Meanwhile, for Luis Casio, you do want to note, he is significantly better at home than he is on the road for his career. A full point and a half lower with regards to the ERA at home. This year, he's been getting blood up himself. He is a guy that really relies upon swings and misses, 19 punch-outs at a little bit over 24 innings. Has not necessarily been superb, has given up at least three runs at all but one of his starts, and he's had one good start at home. That was a scoreless seven innings against the Pittsburgh Pirates, but I take a look at the Cubs. Very, very interesting offense, to say the least. It seems like they're either going to give you seven runs or they're going to give you zero. Wilson Contreras hitting at 220, but has been able to supply seven home runs for the team. Javi Baez, Anthony Rizzo, along Jake Marizic. These guys are in between a 230 and a 250. Chris Bryant has 
has been consistent. It may tough. He's actually giving you a little bit of something, but bottom lineup hasn't necessarily been too terrific for the Reds. They entered into yesterday's contest, averaging just above 7.7 runs per game. Joey Votto has been able to figure it out a little bit more now. Eugenio Suarez has been terrible, but I mean, Nick Cassianos, Jesse Winker, the entire catcher spot with Tucker Barnard and company all hitting a 300 grader. Taylor Naquin has been able to put bat to ball with six home runs heading into yesterday's contest. Now for the Reds, they are in the bottom 10 when it comes to bullpen ERA. Cameron Derosian, who they wanted picking up, has been terrible. I expected a little bit more out of Lucas Sims. Now, TJ Antone, it will be a very good long reliever, but I don't think that they're going to be going to him. They're going to be going to more like Sean Doolittle, who's doing very little for this team. Merrick Garrett and company. And for the Cubs, Craig Kimbrell has been very, very good for this team. Rex Brothers has been able to give you a couple innings. So Maples is a guy that I like his upside as well, along with Ryan Tapera. So I do think that the Cubs have a little bit more when it comes to the bullpen. And I do think that even though both of these starters are struggling, they're going to be able to do a little bit better in this spot. I did wind up setting this total, though, more in the neighborhood of 8.3 because I do think that you are going to be getting better starts out of Davies and Castillo. I think the Cubs from there are going to be able to hold it down. And I do think that there's going to be some regression with this Cincinnati Reds off at home. So, in this spot, I'm going to be taking the plus price here with the Cubs, and I'm going to be taking this total under. We go to my New York Post play of the day. 9.55, 9.56 on the betting board. The New York Metropolitans hit the road face off against the Philadelphia Phillies. Zach Whelan and Dylan Wheeler is going to be going for the Phillies. Meanwhile, Taiwan Walker is on the bump for the Mets. Your total on this game is 8 over and under juice, both anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. Philly's a slight favorite here, anywhere between minus 109 and minus 112. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Metropolitans, anywhere between minus 101, seeing as high as a plus 105. And for one, I have no idea why you wind up coming up with this price. I do feel like the Mets should be a bigger underdog than this. I'm going to be all aboard the Philadelphia Phillies in this spot. And for two, I don't understand why you've got a total of eight in this spot. So I am also going to be taking a look at the total under. The under is the New York Post play of the day, by the way. You take a look at Zach Wheeler. Throughout his career in Philadelphia, he has been absolutely tremendous. Dating back to his time with the Mets, a combined 16 starts, 8-1 record, 288 ERA. He hasn't even necessarily had his great swing and missed stuff when he's been in Philly. For his career, right around eight and a half to nine punch-outs per nine innings, more like 6.8 whenever he's at Citizens Bank Ballpark. And then you take a look at Taiwan Walker. He's been able to be pretty sinking good with the New York Mets as well. Now, there might be a little bit of regression with him because of walks. 14 walks in 21 innings. That's a little bit high, but still has yet to give up a home run. He's done a nice job of being able to limit contact in general. On the Philadelphia Phillies, they're going with a little bit of a skeleton crew. You wind up having Bryce Harper get hit with a face with a baseball a couple days ago, so that means that he's out of the fold. Reese Hoskins has been able to give you eight home runs so far this season, but Andrew McCutcheon, Matt Joyce, Alec Baum, along with Allison Knapp, are all hitting a 220 or lower. They did wind up giving JT Ryumito the day off yesterday. There's a good chance that he might be back today, but you take a look at the Mets as well. This is a team that they are late hitting, to say the least. They are in the bottom of the National League with regards to runs per game, and they've got a couple guys getting on base. J.D. Davis, along with Brandon Nimmo, both hitting well above a 3 but Francisco Lindor, Jeff McNeil, Michael Conforto, Dom Smith, all guys hitting a 220 or lower as of yesterday's so it's tough. Pete Alonso's been able to get on with a 250 batting average, but this is still a Mets team that they're in the bottom of the big leagues when it comes to home runs per game. Hey, take a look at the Mets. Bullpen is not necessarily trustworthy. You've got Jursic Familia, who I always say is Spanish for blown save. Robbie Gazelman. Guys like this, but they've been able to do the job recently. Philadelphia has been a little bit more of an under ballpark to start with because it is late April out there in the northeastern part of the country. The winds do wind up knocking down a couple balls as well. And for the Phillies, I would say that the bullpen has been terrific. It's from Sam Coonrod. He has given up a couple of leads. David Hale, he wound up having that wild pitch a couple days ago. And Brandon Kitzler is a little bit sketchy, but Hector Neris has actually been very good for this team. You've been able to get a 
little bit of something out of Jose Alvarado as well. And I do think that both of these starters are going to be going deep into this game. I just have absolutely no faith whatsoever in either of these offenses generating really anything more than about three and a half runs apiece. So this is the spot in which, like I said, so the total at 6.8, so I'm going to be taking it under. That is a New York Post play of the day in this spot. I do feel like the Phillies should be a relatively sizable favorite because I do think that the walks issues that you do wind up having with Taiwan Walker are going to be coming about and Wheeler in general just has been terrific in Philadelphia. So we're going to be taking the Philadelphia Phillies and the New York Post play of the day is this total under 957-958 on the bank board. The Pittsburgh Pirates are going to be playing those to the St. Louis Cardinals. Captain Jack Flaherty is on the bump for the cards. Meanwhile, you've got Mr. Trevor Kale on the bump for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Pirates are finding themselves underdogs anywhere between plus 124 and seeing his eyes a plus 132. If you're looking at the St. Louis Cardinals anywhere between minus 134 and minus 145, your total on this game is 7. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 125. The under is anywhere between plus 105 and minus 110. With the Pirates, I feel like this should be more like plus 150 underdogs. I feel like maybe there is a little bit of an overreaction to the Pirates being a very, very pleasant surprise. And I will say, bullpen has been very good for the Pittsburgh Pirates team. You take a look at these guys that come out like a Richard Rodriguez, Dwayne Underwood Jr., even someone like a Kyle Crick. These guys have all been able to hold down the fort, but for the St. Louis Cardinals, I do have a little bit of faith here in guys like Giovanni Gallegos of being able to give you a little bit of a solid run of things as well. They've been able to do a good job of being able to maneuver their bullpen. You've now got Daniel Ponce de Leon out there as well. And when you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals, not great, not terrible when it comes to the bats. Tommy Edmonds has been able to do a little bit of something at the top of it, along Dylan Carlson. Both of these guys in the neighborhood of a 275, even as I said, 290 for Dylan Carlson. Paul Goldschmidt has not necessarily been himself so far this year, hitting below 235. Nolan Arenado seems to be picking it up. Paul DeYoung, Tommy O'Neill, and company have been a little bit at or miss. I will say, even though Yadier Molina is out of the fold, Andrew Kisner has actually been able to come in. He's been able to do a relatively solid job, and then you take a look at the Pirates lineup. you got a trio of guys that are doing a good job of getting on base. Brian Reynolds, Colin Moran, Adam Frazier all hitting above a 275. Jacob Sellings and Eric Gonzalez have been able to do an okay job as well. Gregory Polanco got off to a really rough start to begin the year, but he's been able to give you a little bit of something as well. Kevin Newman has been a little bit of a slug, and for the Pirates, you just don't necessarily have a lot of power in general, but I do think that the issue here for Trevor Kale is, are the walks issues going to wind up popping up for him once again? Because that has always been a little bit of an issue for him throughout his career. You take a look at him so far this year. 19 innings, 5 walks, so nothing too terrible, but he has given up 22 hits, 7-11 ERA. That means that he's always open to giving up runs. And Jack Flaherty starting to look like the guy that we saw in the back after 2019, where he was absolutely masterful last year. It was a little bit of lost season for him. He has given up three home runs so far this campaign, but 27 punch outs in 28 innings. He's been able to keep the contact down, so he's got a whip below one. So I do think that he's going to be able to give you a little bit more in the spot for the St. Louis Cardinals with the Cardinals. Why not making them a minus 153 favorite on my personal line? So I'm going to be landed here with the St. Louis Cardinals with this total. I also wound up setting it at 7.8. I do think that we've got a little bit of an overreaction here with regards to the total. Are the Pirates a team that hits a bunch of home runs? No, but at the same time, I do think that Kale is going to get tagged here a little bit as well. So, taking the over, and I'm going to be taking the St. Louis Cardinals in this spot. We move on to game number 959-960 on the betting board. The Milwaukee Brewers are going to be playing with the LA Dodgers. Dustin May is going to be going for the Dodgers. Brandon Woodruff on the bump for the Brewers. Brewers are finding themselves anywhere between minus 102 underdogs and plus 113. So, you've got a little bit of a minus there and some nice plus prices. Meanwhile, for the Dodgers, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 112 and minus 123, and your total on this game is 7. Overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Unders anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. And with the Dodgers, it certainly has been a little bit of a rough run of it for the team last couple weeks, to say the least, but this is still a talented bunch. You've got Cody Bellinger, who is currently on the injured list for this team, so that's going to hurt them. They wound up 
having to go through pretty much our entire bullpen yesterday. That's why they wind up calling it a bullpen game, but this is still a Dodgers team that is also getting their best performance out of Dustin May so far this year. 21 and third innings, 32 punch outs, so only five walks, so he's done a great job with that regard. And for Brandon Woodruff, he has been an ace so far this year. Zero home runs given up in 29 innings, only eight walks, 155 ERA. The Brewers in general have been able to do a great job of being able to put pitching together. Josh Hader along with Devin Williams should be available in this game. They wanted being used last on Thursday. Though I will say with the Milwaukee Brewers, as we know, this is a team that they're having a rough go of it with regards to their bats. Christian Yelich, Lorenzo Cain currently on the injured list, and you really don't have much outside of Omir Nervias along Colton Wong being able to produce. Both of these guys have been absolutely superb for the team, but outside of Nervias and Colton Wong, everyone who wound up playing in the game yesterday for the Milwaukee Brewers in the starting lineup, 225 batting average or lower. So guys like Jackie Bradley Jr., Luis Arias and company, they have been not necessarily able to do a great job. And then for the Dodgers, Justin Turner down for one inning, well above a three-arm for this team. Mookie Betts has been in out of the fold. He's been dealing with a couple ailments with Chris Taylor, Corey Seager, AJ Pollock. All these guys hitting between a 255 and a 265, so they've been relatively consistent. You gotta think that Max Muncy gonna be able to pick it up. Gavin Lux hitting below the Mendoza line. Not necessarily been too terrific, but I do take a look at this one. I do still default a little bit to the LA Dodgers because while Brandon Woodruff seems to be really putting it together as a pitcher, I just take a look at what you're going to be able to get out of this Dodgers lineup in general. I still default to them being able to put up runs. I think that this is going to be a low-scoring game. I wanted setting this total at 6.9, so I am all aboard the under in this spot, but I do think that Dustin May and Brandon Woodruff probably going to be able to cancel themselves out. I think that May is going to be backed up by a little bit more in this spot, so I'm going to wind up taking the Dodgers in this spot. I wound up setting them as a minus-118 favorite, so see a little bit of an edge here, and I'm also going to be taking this total under. We move on to 961-962 on the banking board. Colorado Rockies hit the road face-off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Zach Gallon goes for the D-backs. Meanwhile, Austin Gomber is on the bump for the Rockies. Rockies, massive underdogs here. Anywhere between plus 155 and plus 168. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it here with the Arizona Diamondbacks, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 175 and minus 183 with your total. Anywhere between 8 and 8.5 on the 8. Your over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110 on the 8.5. Under is a minus 120. Seeing a minus 130 out there, which means that the over is anywhere between even and plus 110. And I take a look at Zach Allen. He wound up having an absolutely supreme start his last time out against the Atlanta Braves. Had a one-hitter. He throughout his career has been really good. He's had two starts in which he's given up more than three earned runs out of, I believe, 29 or 30 of them for his career. So he's been dominant. I think that this is a little bit of an overreaction. I was willing to lay more in the neighborhood of minus 145 to minus 150 here with the Arizona Diamondbacks being able to get this much of a plus price is going to be a take for me on the Colorado Rockies. You take a look at the Rockies. Is the bullpen great? No, but at the same time, it's not terrible. Guys like Tyler Kinley are able to come in. They're able to give this team a little bit of something. They wound up calling up Justin Lawrence from the minors. He's actually one of the most highly touted prospects out there among minor league baseball players. Daniel Bart has been solid. And then you take a look at the Rockies. This is a team that they're starting to generate a little bit more offense. Ryan McMahon is hitting in the neighborhood of about a 280. He's been able to give the team eight home runs. Now, you do want to caution yourself. Rockies scoring the fewest runs per game of any team on the road this season. Right around 2.4 runs per game going into yesterday's action, but guys like Trevor Story, Garrett Hampson, CJ Chrome, Remy Altapia, all wound up entering into yesterday in between a 259 and a 271. So, they've been able to get on base. Charlie Blackman, Josh Fuentes have not necessarily gotten off to a great start, and for the Arizona Diamondbacks, this is a little bit of a banged-up team. Christian Walker is currently on the 10-day injured list. Cole Calhoun is on the 10-day injured list. Cole Calhoun was a big reason why this team got off to such a blistering start in the top five in many offensive categories, including runs per game to begin the year. Now, you do have David Peralta, who's done a 
great job of being able to get on base. Carson Kelly, from out of nowhere, entered in yesterday, hitting at 325 with six home runs, and Eduardo Escobar has been able to give you seven bombs himself, but Nick Ahmad, Josh Rojas, Josh Van Meter, all these guys entered into yesterday, hitting at 200 or lower, and the bullpen, it's meh. You've got Kevin Ginkles able to give you a little bit of something. Stefan Kicktrin has been able to do an okay job in spots. You've even got a guy like a you don't mess with the Johan Lopez and company, but I just don't feel like the Arizona and the Diamondbacks weren't being this big of a favorite. And when you take a look in this spot, I do think that Gallon is once again going to be able to give you a relatively solid start, but for Austin Gomber, as long as he's able to keep the walks on, this is actually a relatively solid pitcher, which is why I did why I'm saying this all at 8.1, so I'm going to be aboard the under in this spot. You take a look at Mr. Gomber, wound up having a rough start to begin the year against the LA Dodgers. He wound up walking a bunch of guys, but for his career, he's been able to do a good job of being able to deny our contact. Two home runs give it up in 23 innings so far this year for his career. 10 home runs give it up over the course of 127 innings. Now walks are an issue. He's given up right around 4.6, 4.7 walks per nine innings for his career, 19 walks in 23 innings so far this year, but I do think that because he doesn't necessarily have to fear this lineup, he is going to be able to locate, so I'm going to be taking the plus price here with the Colorado Rockies to go along with this total under as well. We move on to game number 963, 964 on the betting board. The Salim Diego Padres going to be playing against the San Francisco Giants. It is going to be Anthony D. Scalfani who's going to be going for the Giants. Meanwhile, Blake Snell is going to be on the bump for the Padres. Padres are finding themselves in between minus 154 and minus 161. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Giants, anywhere between plus 135 and plus 148, and your total on this game is 7 overs, anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120, unders, anywhere between minus 110 and even. I know that our good buddy that wanted to join in this podcast, Cody Decker, who is tremendous by the way, he's going to be coming back on this podcast, that was a great chat, but I know that he is very bullish on the Giants, and I am as well. I wound up setting them as a plus 154, so this is a little bit of a wait and see with regards to if I'd be playing anything on the money line. If you're taking a look at the run line in the spot, you'd have to lay minus 155 with the San Francisco Giants to be able to get that run in half. Certainly not appealing. Meanwhile, you're able to get right around plus 135 on the Padres. I needed at least plus 125 to be able to take a shot here, so I'm probably going to be looking there. And when you take a look at it, Blake Snell, not necessarily going to give you a lot of length. He has went six innings or fewer in every one of his starts ever since July of 2019. So that is something that you can rest assured of, but he's backed up by a bullpen that right now leads the National League with regards to ERA. With the Padres, this is a team that all of a sudden they've got their power back as well, Fernando Tatis Jr. Hitting five home runs in three games against the LA Dodgers was really able to get him going. Trent Grisham has been able to do a good job of getting on base, hitting right around 285. You've had Manny Machado only right around 250 with three home runs, but he does a good job with his on base. Jake Cronenworth, Will Myers, they do a good job of being able to find a way on him for the San Francisco Giants. The big question is, what are you going to be able to get outside of Buster Posey? Because he's done such a great job of being able to help out this pitching staff in general. He himself hitting a 351, five home runs is absolutely amazing. Evan Longoria hitting above a 300 as well. But outside these two guys, nobody else in the starting lineup outside of pitcher Logan Webb hitting above a 234 yesterday. So that has been a little bit of an issue. You take a look at the Giants. Their bullpen has actually been solid. Camilio Duval has come up from the minor leagues. He's looked relatively solid. Tyler Rogers, Jake McGee. They've got a new lease on life. They've been able to take it and run with it. But with the Padres, I do trust in their bullpen a bit more because, I mean, it just seems like every single one of their guys is very trustworthy. I do think that they're going to do a good job of being able to reach base as well against a guy named Anthony D. Scalfani that has been relatively solid this year for the San Francisco Giants. It's not like he's come out and he's laid a bunch of clunkers himself. He comes over from Cincinnati after a rough year. Buck 50 RA, 30 innings pitch. He's only given up two home runs and seven walks. That's been very good for him. Always a good swing and miss guy. Sometimes it's been a little bit more suspect with the walks, and I do think that you're going to get overall 
relatively solid pitching performance here, but I did wind up setting this total at 7.8, so in this spot, I think that they went just a little bit too low with the total. I'm going to be taking it over because I do think that the Padres are going to be able to generate some runs, maybe get a deep ball or two that will wind up just helping this team be able to generate their way to a two-run victory, so I'm going to be taking the run line of the Padres to go along with that total over. We move on to 965-966 on the betting board. The Detroit Tigres are going to be hitting the road to face off against the New York Yankees. Jamison Tyon is going to be going for the Yanks. Meanwhile, Spencer Turnbull is on the bump for the Tigres. Tigres are finding themselves anywhere between plus 170 and plus 185. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it here with the Yankees, anywhere between minus 193, seeing as I as a minus 205, and your total on this game is 8.5 over and under anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. I'm going to be leaning under in this spot. You've got a guy in Spencer Turnbull that has just been perennially unlucky throughout his career. He's got about a 449 ERA, and yet he's got a record that would indicate that he should have an ERA that's like right around 7. It's been absolutely amazing to see him get absolutely no run support whatsoever for this season. 327 ERA, so he made two starts, but he's only given up one home run. He has been able to do for his career a good job of keeping the ball in the yard, right around .7 home runs per nine innings, but his walks have always been an issue, right around four walks per nine innings. Meanwhile, you take a look at Jameson Tyon. Only two walks given up in 17 and a third innings, but 623 ERA. You can tell that this is someone that has spent a lot of time away from baseball. He's leaving a lot of balls up there in the zone out over the plate, so it's been very tough for him now. The good news is they're going up against a Detroit Tigers team that is just relatively awful, to say the least. You take a look at the starting lineup yesterday. You had two guys that were hitting above a 235 entering in the game. Jameer Candelario and Harold Castro, so it's not necessarily too terrific. Miguel Cabrera he is completely washed. Wilson Ramos has been able to give you a couple home runs, but by and large, it's been tough. And for the Yankees, they were able to bust out with the bats yesterday. You still have your question marks with this team. Aaron X is still hitting well below a 200. Clint Frazier, Runet Odor, all in that neighborhood as well. TJ LeMayu, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Sand, all guys hitting between I would say about a 250 and a 270. G.R. Shell is hitting in that neighborhood as well, so you've been able to get a little bit of something out of those guys. And I will say, for the New York Yankees, one of the strengths of this team is their bullpen. Having Aroldis Chapman, Chad Green, Darren O'Day, Justin Wilson has been great for the team and for the Detroit Tigers. They rank dead last in the big leagues when it comes to bullpen ERA, so I would need at least a plus 183 to take a shot on them. As of right now, I am just not seeing that. And when you take a look at the Yankees' run line, Right now, you are seeing it right in the neighborhood of even money, seeing a little bit of minus 105 as well. I want to making it so that way I would need at least even money to be able to take the run line of the Yankees, but I am getting that opportunity. I'm actually seeing a plus 102 if you're out there on the East Coast at DraftKings as well, so you are seeing some plus money here, so I'm going to wind up taking the run line here in this spot with the New York Yankees. I wound up setting this total at 8.3 as well, so we're going to be riding with this total under to go along with that run line. 967, 968 on the bank board. You've got the Kansas City Royals in the road face off against the Minnesota Twins. Matt Shoemaker is going to be going for the Twins. The Duffman, Danny Duffy, is going to be going for the Royals. Royals are finding themselves slight underdogs here. Anywhere between a strange minus 110 that is currently being found at Bookmaker to a plus 107. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Minnesota Twins, anywhere between minus 110 and minus 122 is the price there. Your tallest game is ranging between 8 and 8.5. On the 8, the over is anywhere between minus 115 to minus 130. Under is anywhere between plus 110 and minus 105. On the 8.5, you're finding that over anywhere between minus minus 105 and minus 115 and the same goes for the under and for the Duffman. He has been absolutely tremendous so far this year. I was certainly not expecting Danny Duffy to be having a sub 1 ERA 
as of right now, but the Kansas City Royals also backing him up with a tremendous bullpen. You take a look at what you've been able to get out of this Royals bullpen. It's been absolutely tremendous. You've got guys like Kyle Zimmer, Tyler Zuber, they're able to do their job, but past that, Greg Holland, along with a Jake Brent, Scott Barlow, Josh Samount, list goes on and on. I trust in pretty much all these guys. Meanwhile, for the Minnesota Twins, Alex Colomay is looking like the Fernando Rodney of 2021. He has been absolutely terrible. And so Robles, Taylor Rogers, two guys I wind up trusting in, and for Matt Shoemaker, ever since he wound up getting injured during the 2019 season, it's been a little bit of a rough run for him. He's given up five home runs and six walks in 19 and two-thirds innings, so he hasn't necessarily been able to get the job done with that regard. And then you take a look at the Duffman. He's allowed one home run in 23 innings. I think that that's the only run that he's wound up giving up. And with the Kansas City Royals, this is a lineup that can be a little bit at miss because you've got two guys in Ore Soler along with Carlos Santana that are expected to be good home run guys, and neither have necessarily delivered a ton of power, but Salvador Perez hitting right around at 260. He's had five home runs, including a bunch of game winners. He's been able to do a solid job with Merrifield. is a guy that year in and year out is going to be hitting right around a 300. Michael A. Taylor, Nicky Lopez both hitting above a 250 at the bottom of the lineup has been good for the team, and for the Minnesota Twins, you certainly have your stars in the lineup. Byron Buxton, Nelson Cruz, both of these guys, seven plus home runs. Buxton's hitting well above a 400 right now. He's been insane. Josh Allenson's hitting a 300. Luis Arias is hitting a 280 for this bunch, but then you take a look at some of these slugs for this team. Max Kepler has been a little bit banged up. He's been up and down. Alex Kurloff has come up from the minor leagues. Very highly tired prospect. He has not been able to do anything whatsoever. The catcher spot for this team has been a hot mess. Ore Polonco hitting below the Mendoza line. Jake Cave has just not been able to do a lot for this team, but I take a look at it. I do think that there is going to be some regression here for the Duffman. I wound up setting the Twins as more around a minus 138 favorite. I realize that the bullpen along with Cody Sashek and company hasn't necessarily been too terrific, but I do think that the offense is going to get turned on in this spot. It is the Midwest. It is a little bit colder, so I also wound up saying this total at 8.2, so I'm going to be looking to take a look at this 8.5 under, and I'm going to be taking the Minnesota Twins in this spot. 969-970 on the betting board. The Chicago White Sox are going to be playing us the Cleveland Indians. Tristan McKenzie is going to be going for the Windians. Meanwhile, Lance Lynn is on the bump for the White Sox. Your total on this game ranging between 7.5 and 8. On the 7.5, the overs anywhere between minus 120 and minus 130. Unders anywhere between even a plus 110 on the 8. You're finding that under anywhere between minus 120 and minus 105. The over is anywhere between even a minus 115 if you're looking at the White Sox. Substantial favorites here. Anywhere between minus 160 and minus 180. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the plus price here with the Indians, anywhere between plus 150 and plus 160. I can tell you right now, I think that the White Sox more often than not wind up winning this game, but I am not willing to lay this. I wound up saying this at minus 156 personally, so I'm going to be taking a look at the plus price here with the Cleveland Indians. Tristan McKenzie, throughout his MLB career, has actually been a relatively rock-solid guy. He doesn't necessarily get a ton of swings and misses, but he gets enough of them. 16 and a third innings, 23 punch-outs so far this year. Now, the 14 walks, very concerning, but he's got very electrifying stuff. You take a look at the Chicago White Sox lineup. You've got quite a few guys that are starting to get online. Jose Abreu wound up having a little bit of a rough go of it to begin the year. He's starting to pick it up. Yasmani Grandal is hitting a below a buck 50, so he's been absolutely terrible, but Yohan Mankata, along with Adam Eaton, they're starting to pick it up a little bit. Tim Anderson hitting right around a 300 long with Luis Robert. Andrew Vaughn has been able to do some nice things as well, but then you take a look at the Cleveland Indians. Framil Reyes has actually been very good in the middle of the lineup for this team. Hitting just below a 290 for this bunch. He's been able to supply some boom. Jose Ramirez has been able to give you six home runs. Jordan Luplo has actually been able to give you a couple bombs. Now, Amit Rosario, Roberto Perez, Yu Chang, along with Andres Jimenez, all hitting a 200 or lower along. Cesar Hernandez 
Hernandez. Not necessarily terrific for the team, but what is terrific is the bullpen. James Karinczak has been able to do a very nice job for the team. Phil Maiden is able to come in. He's able to hold down the fort. Now, Alvar Perez looks like he stepped away from the game of baseball in general, but Brian Shaw, he has not. He's doing a good job. And for the White Sox, you do feel like the bullpen is going to improve upon the numbers that they've got right now. Guys like Aaron Bummer, Matt Foster, Liam Hendricks, they've been there, done that, got off to a little bit of a rough start to begin the year. I think that that's a little bit of an outlier. So I do think that this is going to be a tad bit of a lower scoring game. I wound up saying this total at 7.6 as a result. So I'm going to wind up taking this total under, but you take a look in this spot. I think that the Indians are just a little bit too underpriced in this spot. I was willing to take anything above a plus 156. Right now, seeing a lot of plus 159, plus 158, plus 160. So, we're going to take that plus price here with the Indians, and I'm going to be taking this total under as well. 971-972 on the bank where the Baltimore Orioles sit the road to face off against the Oakland A's. Matt Harvey is going to be going for the Orioles. Ace Luce Lazardo is on the bump for the Oakland A's. If you're looking at the A's, you're going to be laying it here. Anywhere between minus 170 and minus 182 plus price here with the Orioles. Anywhere between plus 152 and plus 165. Your total on this game is 8. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even and minus 110. For Lazardo, he has been significantly better at home than he has been on the road. You take a look at Mr. Lazardo whenever he was at home last season. Right around a 2-7-ish ERA on the road. That was north of 8. Matt RV last season, he was bad at home. He was bad on the road. Heck, I think that he would have been bad on Planet Pluto if he wanted pitching there as well. It's just been very interesting, though. He is coming off a good start against the New York Yankees. How he was able to get a good start against the New York Yankees, that is some form of sorcery, in my opinion. But you take a look at this Oakland A's team. They have been able to do a great job. They are winners of 14 out of their last 16 games going into Friday night. And with quite a few guys doing a good job of being able to get on base. Marcana has an on base just below a 400. Ramon Laureano has had a little bit of a rough go of it to begin the year, but he seems to be picking up Jed Lowry. He seems to be regressing a little bit, but he and Mitch Moreland both hitting between a 250 and a 260. Elvis Andrews, he's had a tough go of it to begin the year, but how about what you've been able to get out of Matt Olson? He's hitting above a 300. He's missed the last couple days, but he has been relatively rock solid. And for the Baltimore Orioles, this is one of the worst offenses out there in so many different categories. DJ Stewart, Ryan Mountcastle, Rio Ruiz, Pat Faleka, Francisco, Ramon Odias. All were in the starting lineup yesterday. All entered with a buck 89 or worse batting averages. You had one guy hitting above a 247 for this team, and Cedric Mullins, straight boom, boom, man, CD5 home runs hitting right around a 247 has been solved for this team. And I will say for the Baltimore Orioles, bullpen has been good. Cesar Valdez is coming in and be able to give this team some nice innings. Dylan Tate, Cole Solzer, Tanner Scott, list goes on and on. So you've been able to get a little bit of that. But for the Oakland A's, JB Wendelkem, Lou Trevino, Jake Diekman, all these guys are able to do a very solid job as well. I think that this is a spot in which Matt Harvey is going to get shelled. I think that he's going to get shelled pretty well. I wound up setting this as the A's being a minus 182 favorite, but you do want to keep in mind, this is going to be a nighttime game out there in Oakland, which means that the marine layer is going to be out, which is why I wound up setting this total at 8. So I do think that there is a little bit of an edge here to the under because you're getting an unjuice 8 if you wind up going under. I always assume that there should be minus 110 juice on these totals. And when you're taking a look at the run line of the Oakland A's, currently I'm seeing that plus 120 at the Westgate. I'm seeing a lot of other plus 110s and plus 115s. I'm going to wind up taking that plus 120 personally. I was willing to lay a little bit of a price here with the Oakland A's run line. So we're going to be taking that run line to go along with this total under. 973, 974 on the banking board. You've got the Houston Astros who are going to be hitting the road face off against the Tampa Bay Rays. Jose Arakidi is going to be going for the Astros. Meanwhile, for the Tampa Bay Rays, it is Josh Fleming. Right now, the only place that has a number up on this game is Bookmaker. They made the Astros minus 119 and the Rays minus 101 with your total of 8 over and under. Both at minus 110. 
110 on these numbers. I think it would be fascinating because I'd be taking the over. I set it at 8.3. I felt like the Rays deserve to be a little bit of a favorite. I officially set them at minus 111, so I'd be looking at the Rays and the over in this spot. And with the Tampa Bay Rays with Josh Fleming, he's been tremendous for this team. Buck 23 ERA. He's given up one home run in 14 and two-thirds innings. Four walks, not great, not terrible, but I like the way that he's able to come in. He's able to hold down the fort. They've used an opener for him in the past, so they might do that once again, but I like the way that he's holding it down. Meanwhile, you dig a look at Mr. Urtikiti. He's not necessarily been a hard tosser throughout his career. He's had five strikeouts for fear and three out of his last five starts, but he does a good job of being able to limit a little bit of contact in general. But I will say, throughout his career, right around 1.45 home runs per nine innings for the Houston Astros. This is a lineup that they're very hit or miss. A couple days ago against the Seattle Mariners, they were getting no hit by Yusei Kikuchi. Yesterday, they wound up busting out with the bats. You've got Michael Brantley who's back. He's hitting well above a third for the team. Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, both hitting above a 275 along to Jordan Alvarez and Carlos Correa. Elamendiz Diaz has seen a little bit of a dip. And Martin Maldonado, he's just not good with the bat in general. But you take a look at the Tampa Bay race. You're going to need to get a little bit more than just Joey Wendell from this team. He's hitting a 310. He has been terrific. And Walmart goes giving you a little bit of something. Randy Otto's arena wound up missing the day yesterday, but I think that he'll be back in this one. But you take a look at Mike Zanino, Kevin Kiermaier, Yoshi Satsugo, Brett Phillips, Willie Adamas, Austin Meadows. All guys that are hitting a 225 or lower, throwing their band in Lau as well. It's been a little bit of a tough go of it for them, but with the race, it does feel like the bullpen is getting a little bit better. They wound up not necessarily getting the start that they desired yesterday, but guys like Trevor Richards are able to give you multiple innings. Ryan Thompson is a guy that I do like. Hunter Strickland has been able to come in. He's been able to hold down the fort. Lewis Head is coming in, and he's actually been able to do a solid job. And for the Houston Astros, Enoli Paredes is right now on the injured list. You do have Ryan Presley, Brooks Raley. Both came in and did a relatively solid job last year and are doing the same this year. Andre Scrub wound up walking a bunch of guys last year, but did a good job of being able to keep guys out of scoring position. Brian Bray is someone that you're able to rely upon as well. So I do think that this is an interesting spot. Like I said, on the numbers that are currently being presented to us, I do think that you're going to get some more contact from a race team that they strike out a lot, but they're also able to put the ball in play when they do wind up doing so. And Urikidi not being a punch-out guy, I think really helps him out. So was willing to make the Rays a slight favorite and take this total over if it winds up being eight. But obviously little bit of subject to change because right now this is a number that's only up at Bookmaker. 975-976 on the betting board. You've got the Boston Red Sox in the road to face off against the Walker Texas Rangers. It is for the Rangers. Jordan Lyles taking the bump. Meanwhile, Eduardo Rodriguez is going to be going for the Red Sox. Red Sox are a sizable favorite in this spot. Anywhere between minus 167 and minus 190 plus price here with the Rangers. is anywhere between plus 155 and plus 166 in your total on this game is 8.5. The offer is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even and minus 115. And when you take a look at Jordan Lyles, ever since he wound up having a good start to end the 2020 season against the Houston Astros. He's actually been a relatively solid pitcher for the season. He's got a 6.75 ERA, giving up seven home runs. That was mainly due to his last start being a complete and utter disaster against the LA Angels. Gave up seven runs in that one and given up three or fewer in each out of his previous four starts. So he seems to be a little bit more controlled. Meanwhile, with Rodriguez, he has really worked on the walks. Actually led the league in walks during the 2019 season. Missed all of 2020. Two walks in 23 innings so far this season. So he's mainly doing a great job there with the Texas Rangers. This is a team that they entered into this series. Worst team in the big leagues with regards to runs per game at home. They've been able to generate a little bit more. Willie Callow, Nick Solak, our pair of guys are in right around a 300. Joy Gallo's only in right around a 220, 225-ish, but it's on bases above a foreign. I do like what you're getting out of Adolius Garcia. He's been able to give this team five home runs, hitting right around 250 along with Isaiah Canera-Falefa, so 
been able to get a little bit of something there. And for the Boston Red Sox, this is a team that they lead the league with regards to batting average. Now, whenever Hunter Renfro and Franchi Cordero are out there, these guys are automatic outs. But J.D. Martinez, he has really been able to do a great job this year. Hitting right in the neighborhood about a 341, seven home runs entering into yesterday. He hit his eighth yesterday, so he's been able to do that. Xander Bogart's hitting well above a 300. Alex Verdugo doing the same. You've had Rafael Devers being able to do all that he's doing. Now, I will say this with the Boston Red Sox. Bullpen is on a little bit of shaky ground. I don't know if I can trust in these guys moving forward. I do realize that Garrett Woodlock, young pitcher for the Boston Red Sox, has been relatively solid, but I mean, Austin Bryce, Darwin's and Hernandez. Guys like this have been a little bit rough. Adam Adovino was so bad when he was with the Yankees the last couple years that they were willing to let him go to the Boston Red Sox and really didn't put up much of a fight, so that's a little bit brutal. Meanwhile, you take a look at this Texas Rangers bullpen. It is absolutely terrible. I mean, you've got Taylor Hearn out there. He is not a guy that should be coming in as a bullpen arm. Brett Martin has been able to give you a little bit of success from time to time, but things were so bad that they had to bring in their super long reliever, Hun Young Yong, who wound up having to give them a couple innings yesterday, so they were very much text, to say the least, with that regard, so that was not necessarily too terrific, and you take a look at the Texas Rangers in general, it certainly has been a little bit of tough sledding for them. I don't know if you could quite wind up playing this much with the Boston Red Sox, so I wound up making them personally. Minus 146-ish favorite, and if you're taking a look at the run line as well, you'd have to lay a price here with the Boston Red Sox. That just does not wind up appealing to me, so in this spot, going to be taking the plus price here with the Rangers, and I'm going to be taking this total over, as I wound up saying it, more in the neighbor of 8.7, so being able to get that minus 110 on 8.5, it does appeal to me. We move on to 977, 9.78 on the main board. The LA Angels are going to be in the road to face off against the Seattle Mariners. LJ Newsom is going to be going for the Seattle Mariners. Meanwhile, Griffin Kenning is on the pump for the Angels. Angels, any more minus 135 and minus 147 favorites. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Seattle Mariners. Anywhere between plus 117 and plus 129. You're tall on this game's 8.5. Over anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even and minus 110 with Newsom. He's come into some long relief appearances and he's actually looked relatively good so far this season. Now, last season, he wound up getting a couple starts for the Seattle Mariners and he was an absolute disaster. So, what we're going to be able to get out of Newsom here is anyone's guess. But 10 in a third inning so far this season. One walk and one home run issue. Buck 69 ERA. He has been great. Meanwhile, Griffin Canning, he has not been great. He's given up six home runs and he's got an 840 ERA so far this season. Last start, Wanda making it two and a third innings, giving up six runs all but for against the Houston Astros. So that was not necessarily too terrific. And you take a look at the Seattle Mariners. Good news is for Mr. Griffin Canning, they're hitting a buck 91 at home heading into yesterday. That is the worst mark out there in the big leagues. Now, you do have Kyle Lewis coming back just 4 of 26. Is since he wound up coming back a little bit over a week ago, and Mitch Anniger hitting a 270 tie France at 300. That's been appealing for the scene, but you take a look at it. Lewis, who I mentioned a little bit earlier, Luis Torrens, Dylan Moore, Jorge Mamaloes, Tom Murphy, all these guys hitting a 200 or lower. And for the Angels, this has been a really good lineup. Shoy Otani, Mike Trout, Justin Upton, Albert Pools. I'll have at least five home runs. Jared Walsh has four, and he's hitting a 330 with Mr. Trout. A 420 batting average heading into yesterday. Anthony Rendon, small sample size for him. He just wound up coming back off the injured list, so that's all. Jose Iglesias along David Fletcher. After having tough starts to begin the year, they've been able to pick it up. And for the Angels, bullpen has been relatively solid. Steve Ciszek has been able to give you a couple solid innings. Junior Guerra is able to give you some long 
relief. Chris Rodriguez also able to give you long relief. Aaron Slager, Sony Watson. I like these guys. And for the Mariners, they've actually been one of the top bullpens out there in the big leagues. Will Vest has been a nice find for the team along Drew Steckenrider. You've got someone in Rafael Montero who wound up blowing a save a couple days ago against the Astros. But by and large, he's been solid. Keenan Middleton, guy that's able to triple digits. And Kendall Graveman has dug his career out of the grave as he's been able to give you a little bit of something as well. But I do think that these Seattle Mariners are going to start to regress. I was willing to lay up to minus 147 here with the Angels. So being able to get more in the neighborhood of about a minus 135, that does appeal to me. Set this little at 9.2 as well. Canning has not been terrific. LJ Newsom, I think, is going to be getting lit up as well. So I'm going to be taking this little over and I'm going to be laying it here with the Angels. And we wrap things up with the lone game that is currently off the board. 979-980 on the betting board. The Toronto Blue Jays are going to be playing the Atlanta Braves. Charlie Morton is going to be going for the Bravos. Meanwhile, you've got good old to be determined for the Toronto Blue Jays. Going to be interesting to see who the Blue Jays wind up throwing out there because going into yesterday, they were a top three bullpen with regards to ERA in the big leagues. Meanwhile, Charlie Morton, ever since he's gotten to Atlanta, he hasn't been great. He hasn't been terrible. 33 punch outs in 28 and a third innings. He's still got that great curveball. Has given up 10 walks. A little bit higher than what you'd like to see out of him. And for the Blue Jays, they did themselves a big favor with regards to being able to bust out with the offense yesterday. So Robbie Ray was able to give them some very good innings. So that helps out this bullpen be a little bit more rested for this game. And you take a look at the Blue Jays in general. They are now getting back their bats. Jasker Hernandez, George Springer, back in full. Bo Bichette has been able to give this team a little bit of something with regards to batting average, but more importantly than that, seven home runs. That's been terrific. Alejandro Kirk had multiple home runs yesterday. That's huge for him. He wound up getting off to a rough beginning to the season. Santiago Espinal has been able to above a 275 along with Randall Grichik. And Vlad Guerrero Jr. has an on-base percentage just below 500. And for the Atlanta Braves, you figure that this team is going to be able to as well. Going into yesterday, you wound up having Freddie Freeman with a 370 on-base, but his batting average wasn't necessarily there. Marcel Zuna, Ozzy Albies, Travis Arno, Dansby Swanson, all guys hitting a 225 or lower. Now Ronald Cunha Jr. has been terrific getting a 3 33. He's been able to give the team eight home runs, but you need to get a little bit more out of some of these other guys. And for the Atlanta Braves, they certainly had to tax their bullpen. Drew Smiley only wound up giving the team four innings. He was just absolutely terrible, to say the least, which means that you're going to be a little bit more taxed with that regard. You do have guys like A.J. Minter or someone like a Will Smith who's able to get jiggy with uh, Jacob Webb, guys like this, who are relatively solid. But I take a look at the Blue Jays in this spot. Who they're going to be starting is a very good question because I know that Ryan Baruki winds up having some starting experience. Tommy Malone does as well. I don't know if you want to be putting your chips in the basket of either of those guys. Trent Thornton has been used as a little bit more of an opener. I'm probably going to wind up setting the Toronto Blue Jays as a slight underdog here, and I would think that this is a total that is probably going to be winding up coming out at 9.5. I just need to know a little bit more about the Blue Jays lineup, what they're all going to be doing with the pitching rotation before I can give you anything set there. So check back in the morning and the spreadsheet at GUNRSQUARTY1 there, and that's where you're able to ask a question if you wind up having one for this fine podcast, baseball betting podcast, and if you like what you're hearing, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and tune in. you got one of two ways to be able to find questions if you have them for this podcast. My Twitter timeline at JerusCordy1. Keep in mind the letters EM. They mean does not matter. Other ways via an Apple Podcast review. Rate this podcast five stars. It is very much appreciated. And then from there, be able to send you questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. A big thanks to Cody Decker. That was an absolutely tremendous chat that we wound up having in the second segment. I hope you're all safe, healthy, and doing well. I'll be talking to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.